Hey, Contact family, it's Jonathan, and it is time for us to finish our study on the 8th Century Prophets. This is the 8th week of this, so if you've missed the other ones, uh, they're all available on our website or on uh, the Facebook page. Uh, but if you can't watch those or aren't wanting to watch those, this is a good place even to jump in because we're going to cover a lot of ground. It's going to be a pretty long lesson, but hopefully we're going to take us through a whole lot of this the reason why we're studying it. So before we get going, as always, I want to read off our goals. We want to get a basic understanding of justice, righteousness, and the 8th century prophets. We want to identify how these relate to Jesus' day, the gospel, and our current world. We want to discover ways we personally and as contact need to shape our lives to submit to God's way. And we want to intentionally step out of our comfort zones to engage others with righteousness and justice. And what are righteousness and justice? And these are the definitions from the Bible Project video that we watched Actually, the week before we started this eight-week series. So righteousness is an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people, recognizing people as the image of God from page one of the Bible, God's image bears, so the way we treat each other. Justice is seeking out and helping vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of, including advocacy and systemic change. So justice goes beyond simply the way that we treat the people that we come in contact with, but involves us going a step further to make sure that those who are being hurt or oppressed or mistreated or are on the outskirts are being blessed and taken care of and being brought into the group. Okay, so as we get ready for this big study that we're going to do today to finish things off, I want to start us actually in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew a few times today because as always we want to take a look at how Jesus is using these, these ideas and how Jesus is understanding the prophets. So we're going to look at the story of the wise and foolish builder really quick. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it comes in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So let me read this to you real quick. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Bedrock, solid foundation. Think about bedrock and a solid foundation. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Okay, so what Jesus is saying here is his teachings that he's just given, the Sermon on the Mount, is like a solid foundation that your life can be built on. If you listen to Jesus, if you build your foundation on him, then you will have something solid. If you don't, then it's like building on the sand. Let me read another verse. This is one that I've quoted lots of times. It was our memory verse one week from Psalm 89, verse 14. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Okay, so what is the foundation of God's own throne? Righteousness and justice. Does that mean they're pretty, pretty significant? Okay, if we take that passage from Matthew and we put it together with this, what are we, what are we getting this picture of? The things that Jesus is teaching us to build a foundation on, God's own foundation, have to do with our relationship with others and the way that we treat other people, righteousness and justice, the way that God treats us and the way that God is, is in relationship with us are big things. So when we think about those definitions of righteousness and justice, those are the things that show up there in the Sermon on the Mount is how do we treat other people? How do we do all these things with others in our lives and then God says, or the psalmist says, that righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's own throne. Okay, so keep all that tucked away. 
because what we want to do is we're thinking about how are we building a foundation for our own lives and what is at the core and at the base of what we do as Christians and what we do as people who are following in the way of Jesus and the way of the cross. So as we think about that, we're going to look at Micah today. Micah is the last of our 8th century prophets, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah. We're actually also going to be in Isaiah some today because there's one more chapter that we really need to look at, and it pairs well with the book of Micah. So we're going to kind of intersperse those together. So a couple things about Micah. Micah means who is like uh, the Lord or Yahweh. The Ah in Micah is uh, Hebrew shorthand for Yahweh. He's from Moresheth Gath in southwest Judah, so he's a southern prophet going to the southern kingdom. He is during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, and we'll see our chart in just a second here, before and after the fall of Israel. So he prophesies before Israel gets taken into captivity in Assyria, and after that, remember, Judah doesn't get taken into captivity in Babylon for another 150 years after that. Uh, his book is split up into three sets of prophecy, chapters 1 and 2, 3 through 5, and then 6 through 7. All of them begin with this idea of hear or listen to this, and they all move from judgment to restoration because God's heart, God wants to restore good relationship. If you remember way back again, talking about that video with the Bible Project, that judgment uh, and justice most of the time does not have to do with paying for crimes, but with restoring, restorative justice as opposed to retributive justice. All right, here's our chart. You can see all those reigns of the different kings. You can see Micah there. Micah prophesies for a shorter time than Isaiah, who's right below him in those green and blue stripes. Uh, but you can see that he prophesies before and after the fall of the Yellow Kingdom, which is the Northern Kingdom of Israel. And you can see those kings that he's prophesying through. All right, so let's start looking at what's going on in Micah. And like we talked about, that it's split up into three prophecies. So we're going to kind of look at three chunks. And we're also going to stick in here Uh, a little bit from Isaiah chapter 58, which is the chapter we're going to be in in Isaiah today. And that's the only chapter we'll be in, in the book of Isaiah. So the question we're asking here is, what are we doing that God hates? What What was Judah doing that God hates? What do we see in ourselves? And that's always one of the things we want to be asking, is it's not just what were those people a long time ago doing, but what kind of things are we also doing that reflect those same kind of problems? Because we want to make sure we're checking ourselves, right? So let's read some of this. From Micah chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We're going to jump in there for a couple verses. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night, thinking up evil plans? You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property stealing his family's inheritance. Okay, you hear in those things that are going on in Israel that God hates, people just thinking of ways they can do wrong and they can take for themselves and they can make their wealth bigger uh, at the expense of someone else. Moving on to chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption foundation of murder and corruption. That is not the same as a foundation of justice and righteousness, is it? You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Okay, so what's going on? There's abuse. There's all kinds of evil happening. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. 
So what are they believing? They're believing that just because they're part of God's chosen people, that they can get away with murder. And God is not agreeing with them, uh, to say the least. Go to chapter 6, verse 10. It says, What shall I say about the homes of the wicked filled with treasures gained by cheating? What about the disgusting practice of measuring out grain with dishonest measures? How can I tolerate your merchants who use dishonest scales and weights? The rich among you have become wealthy through extortion and violence. Your citizens are so used to lying that their tongues can no longer tell the truth. Ooh, that one that one stings a little bit. Uh, maybe you've known someone, maybe we've seen someone who who just can't even tell the truth, even if it's just a simple thing. They get so used to lying that that lies just come out no matter what they say. And these are the things, all of these ways that people have become wealthy and have have taken advantage of people who are in weaker situations to prop themselves up and bless themselves. And that is nothing that God wants. Let's jump into the book of Isaiah for a second here. 58 verse 3. It says, we have fasted before you, they say, why aren't you impressed? So these are these same people who say, God's with us and nothing can hurt us. We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. Oh, oh, we're, we're, we're so sorry for, for whatever. We're trying to do these things. I will tell you, I respond, says God, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. So what are they doing? They're showing the actions of penance, but they're not changing anything that they're doing. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Okay, so what's going on in all this section, these sections, it's not just one section, is we've got all of these things that the leaders, that the rulers, that the priests, that the prophets are doing in Israel. And it's all of these abuses and the ways that the people who should know better, who have been taught more closely by God, who have studied the scriptures more, who are being led by God in special ways, instead of them recognizing the things that they're doing wrong, instead of them trying to change, they're saying, oh, I'm just going to follow the law. I'm going to follow this written set of commands that I'm supposed to do in this section over here, but I'm not going to do this other thing that's important. Remember a few weeks ago, we read from Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus was talking about the seven woes of the Pharisees. And he says, woe to you Pharisees, you tithe a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglect the more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and uh righteousness, I think it says. You should have done the latter without neglect. You should have done the former without neglecting the latter. So what's that saying? That you can do the actions. You can come to church on Sunday. You can pray. You can read your Bible. And then you can still go out and do what is wrong and what is unjust and what is wicked. Those those actions of worship don't cause you to be righteous and just. Those are still choices that have to be made, and there are changes and true repentance that are needed. So let's, let's, I'm getting ahead, because that's what we're going to talk about here in these next few verses in Isaiah chapter 58, starting in verse 6. And this is true fasting, then what does God want? Because God has just said, 
Do you really think this will please the Lord, this kind of fasting? It says in verse 6, No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will become bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And there's all kinds of things in there. There's imagery of the Garden of Eden. There's uh, kind of reminders back to what God wants is justice like a mighty river, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream or an ever-flowing spring here. So these all these images that are that are going back across the biblical story of what God actually wanted us to be and the way God wanted us to interact with each other. There's also all these actions that God is talking about. And when we treat other people a certain way, he says in verse 8, then your salvation will come like the dawn. And we say, Jonathan. And we say, Isaiah, more specifically, because Jonathan's just sharing this with you. Isaiah what do you mean our salvation will come when we do the right things? I thought our salvation was based just upon our relationship with God. That is a complicated question, and there's a lot that we have to deal with. And I would say, yes, our salvation comes by faith in God. Actually, I was on Facebook the other day, and Frank Lott posted something about faith and works and how uh, when you're a Christian, your faith works. It, it's not something that you can separate one from the other. And so I want to read here something that sounds very similar, and you're going to hear some of these exact same things that Isaiah just talked about in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is called the sheep and the goats, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this is God talking about this this day in the future when we are judged for the things that we've done. And he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. The throne built on what? Righteousness and justice. Okay. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Well, what's Jesus just done here? Oh, he's equating some of those things with the things that are bringing life to his people. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? 
When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then the Lord will reply, Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you are refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. It's a sobering story, a sobering passage of Jesus, and it makes us question, are we living the kind of way that prizes good worship and that puts as the most important priority these things that are just about us and our personal holiness? Or are we also, because remember it's not an either or, it's a both and, are we also making sure that we are taking care of those around us in need? Are we taking care of those who are hurting, who are sick, who are in prison, who are needing food, who are needing clothes, who are needing something to drink. These are things that are incredibly important. In fact, when Jesus, Jesus again, echoing what Isaiah has just said in chapter 58 in a lot of ways, Jesus says that these are the things that are going to sort us out in the last days. And man, that's something that we've really, really got to take seriously then, right? Something we have to take very, very seriously. Okay, so we've talked so far now about what's the issue, what's the problem that's going on. And we've talked about what's some of our personal solution to this. What are the things that God is asking us to do in response to this? And so this next set of verses that we're going to read back in the book of Micah is where is God taking us? Because God has big plans for you. God has big plans for us. And we get to see here a little bit about where God wants to bring us his people that are now doing justice and righteousness that have learned from their mistakes and their sins that they have committed. So he says in chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, he says, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you, I will gather the remnant who are left. The word remnant we haven't really talked about much in this series, but this remnant idea is that all these people from Israel and from Judah get taken into captivity in Assyria and Babylon, and many of them never return. They stop being Israelites in exile in another country, and they become people of that country instead of people who are uniquely set apart for God. And so when all of these things come to a close, uh, a lot of them never come back. But a remnant, a small group of people, do return to rebuild and to become the kind of people that God wants. Now, some of those people who are in exile eventually do come back, and that's what we talked about in the book of Acts, is in Acts chapter 2, when all the exiles finally return, and the kingdom then begins anew in the way that God had intended for it. But in the period where Jesus is on earth is a few hundred years after people have come back from exile, and that's what has built that current Israelite system of the Pharisees and Sadducees and all those people that we talk about a lot in our stories of the Bible. Um, who were trying their best to keep the law very strictly so that this kind of exilic thing doesn't happen again. Okay, sorry. 
That was a lot of a sign. Let's go back. Someday, O Israel, verse 12, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left, the ones who still follow me. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And this is going to sound very familiar. This is also in, in Isaiah. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. Though the nations around us follow their idols, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. And then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's power, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. What's God talking about here? He's talking about this future day when the remnant comes back, when he's going to bring his people back, but not just bring his people back. God himself is going to rule from Jerusalem. God is going to be the king over all the nations. God is the one who is going to change the world order finally and completely. And war will no longer be there. And people will no longer have anything to fear because God's love and justice and righteousness and faithfulness are there to protect and bless and help humans to live out the things that we were supposed to live from the very beginning. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture, something that we are still looking for the full fulfillment of. Chapter 5, verse 2. So we're just talking about his kingship will be restored to Israel, and then we go in 5, verse 2, and it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Matthew quotes that later in the birth story of Jesus, because uh, Jesus comes from Bethlehem. That's where he's born, right? And his origins are in the distant past. What an interesting phrase for a Jesus who's been there from the beginning of the world. Okay, chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. These are the last verses of the book of Micah. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. So where's God taking his people? To a place where God is the ruler, where God is our king, 
where Jesus reigns. We know a little bit more of the story than they knew at this time. God's taking us to a place where peace wins out, where God's justice and righteousness allows us to live out the way that we were intended to live, where we no longer seek after ourselves and our own benefit. We try to build kingdoms of our own and do things as we believe are right and wrong, but instead we live a way that follows God truly and where we are so satisfied and content in God's love and the way of God's rule that we no longer are in rebellion against God and doing the things that God doesn't want, where we take care of each other as we praise our Lord altogether. Beautiful picture, right? So let's kind of recap and look at a lot of this, and we're going to look at another passage in Micah. This is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And verse 8 is a very famous, very famous passage. We did it as a memory verse one week. It's a really great one. And it's kind of where we want to land on some of this stuff. There's still more after we read this passage. Uh, but it's it's a really good summary for us of not just what we've talked about today, but we've been talking about this whole eight or nine weeks of studying the 8th century prophets and ju- justice and righteousness. So what does God want? What does God want from us? If you haven't figured it out by now, you should be able to just kind of answer that based on all of the other things that we've read over and over and over and over and over again. Because a lot of this has been re- repetition, right? It's not every week just some kind of brand new uh, idea. It's the same thing over and over again. And we see how many pages of the Bible God has committed to these kinds of things. So it must be really important, right? Okay, so what does God want? Micah 6, chapter, Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. Okay, this is like a courtroom scene. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed, and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. So God is saying, I did all these things to try to show you my way and try to teach you how I wanted you to be. I saved you. I rescued you out of your slavery in Egypt. What more could I have done? So they respond, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Do you know the answer to these questions? What's the answer to these questions? We've talked about this over and over and over again too, right? What does God want from us? And and it gets to exaggeration. Sure, first it's just burnt offerings, right? And then it gets a little more than 10,000 thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil, all the way to sacrificing our children to pay for our sins. And at the end, we're like, no, of course that's not what, that's not what God wants. That's not what God wants. What does God want? What does God want? What does God want for you? What does God want from you? Like a 6-8. God has shown you, O oh mortal, 
O human, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Some versions, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Justice, which is that helping others, it's making sure that we are taking care of those who are vulnerable, it's fixing structures that are oppressive, it's making sure that we are um, fighting for the benefit of others. But loving mercy and wanting everyone to be part of the kingdom and desiring for all to to fall in love with God and for God to extend his mercy and to not say, well, those people shouldn't belong, but to say, we want God's mercy poured out on this whole earth. We want everyone to come under God's umbrella of, of salvation and safety and love the way that we have it here in the church that we are so blessed with and to walk humbly before God. What does that mean? That means to know God is in charge and that we are not and that it is okay for us to follow God and not have to make all these decisions of what is right and wrong on our own, but instead to submit to God's way. Is this something that Jesus echoes? Is this something that Jesus cares about too? Jesus doesn't quote this passage, but here's something interesting. If we go to Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, remember we started with talking about that foundation, uh, the wise and foolish builder. At the very beginning of the sermon, what we call the Beatitudes, Jesus says in verses 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew 5, God blesses those who are humble, walk humbly with your God, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those, verse 7, who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Look at that, right next to each other. Humble, just, and mercy. All right there, just like in Micah. It's as if Jesus knew what the prophets were saying and cared deeply about the same things that the prophets cared about because, of course, we know he did. So where do we go from here? All right, here we go into the the wrap-up of all of these things that we've been talking about for all these weeks. What is the next step? So the major point of this whole series, I didn't really talk about it at the beginning, because I thought it was important to maybe save it for the end, is this isn't a one-time conversation on justice. This isn't something that we're going to just put on a shelf for later. What's important is that justice is foundational to God. This is not just something that's tacked on later. This isn't just something that's just a little hidden part of the Bible that doesn't show up very often and that we need to every once in a while think about. What is really important that I hope that you've seen as we've explored not just these Old Testament prophets here in the 8th century, but as we've also explored all through the Gospels and even into the book of Acts, this idea that justice shows up again and again and again and again and again and again and again because God loves justice. God is just. We can trust God because God is so just and we know that he will work on behalf of those who are weak and oppressed. And he says it over and over again. This is the way Jesus launches his ministry. This is what shows up over and over and over again is that 
God loves justice and God wants his people to be doing justice. So this is, again, not something that's just a a one-time thing to talk about, but something that like ideas like love and forgiveness and other things like that should be constantly in front of us and that we should always be thinking about as we're thinking about who we are as Christians and how we relate to those around us. Justice and righteousness are exceptionally important ideas as we think about who we are to be in this world and how we are to relate to those around us. So we have our goals again, you know, and so as we as we get through all of these goals, we've hopefully learned a lot, we've identified these pieces, and now we're discovering ways that we need to change and finding ways we can intentionally step out. So that's going to be a long conversation. I hope that you've seen some things in here. Maybe there's been some things that have convicted you about ways you know you're not living in a way that's just. And hopefully we're finding ways as as our church body, our church community, to find ways to show justice to others and to keep on seeking out those who are vulnerable and are hurting. And we're finding new ways and, and better ways, maybe even because of this pandemic, to reach out to others and to be a blessing and a light for others the way that God intended us to be. So that's that's where we've gone with all that. So I want to share a few statements here at the end that hopefully will wrap up this idea and kind of summarize what, what's been going on with all this. So first idea is God is right and just to be angry at the way we intentionally and systemically hurt each other. Okay, so we've talked about how important justice is for God. And a lot of times we want the God who is totally kind and is always forgiving without the picture of God that wants justice. But if you think about this, God loves us. And if you think about really good parents, really good parents don't just let their kids get away with anything, right? There's discipline and there are things that those kids have to change so that they can grow up to be the kind of people that their parents uh, are wanting them to become and that are trying to shape them to be. And in the same way is that God desires for us to be more than just the saved who are this isolated pocket of people who, once we go in the waters of baptism, do nothing. Like, we are saved for a purpose, to go and do something else. And so when God sees these things in his world... God is right and just to be angry about them and to to want things to change. So because of that, God's justice may include punishment and creating a remnant of true followers. And again, we didn't talk a lot about the idea of remnant, but I think you understand that idea that there are some who will see God's punishment and will just turn away from God. But there are others who will see that punishment and will say, I need to be different because of this. And so God's justice may be painful for a time, but that's because it's changing us. It's that refiner's fire that's burning out the things in us that need to be gotten rid of so that we can be more fully what we're supposed to be. Third is that God will bring about his kingdom and it will be greater than anything we can imagine. These passages have talked a lot about the kingdom that God is bringing and this idea of the new Jerusalem uh, which don't don't get too caught up on the idea of it being Jerusalem where Jerusalem physically is. This is the idea that God is coming to set things right. And it may be there. I don't know. That's not really what, what we're as concerned about at the moment. The idea is that 
we can trust that God is putting his kingdom together. And his kingdom is in some ways already here, and in other ways it's not yet here. And that's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we are little temples, that's from another series, uh, of God that are spreading his kingdom into this world. And it's going to be incredible. There's going to be nothing that matches it. There's going to be nothing we can even imagine that explains the greatness of what it is that God has designed for us to be living fully as he made us without any of the fear and the brokenness that we have brought into this world. And God is going to bring that about one day. And God wants us to join him in that kingdom. And that's good news. That's that's part of the, the gospel message is that God has something big planned for us, for you, for contact, for God's kingdom, for all of us together that are part of his kingdom. And God wants us to join him. And God wants all people to join him. And that's why he sent Jesus to take the punishment on our behalf because some of it we deserve to be destroyed for. We deserve to not get to be part of the kingdom for some of the things that we've done. But praise God, he said, I will send my own son to take the punishment from you so that Jesus can be victorious over death and give you victory over death and punishment and reshape you into the way you need to be to be part of the kingdom. And as part of that, we must decide to follow him and to join his mission of restoring what we and others have broken. As part of God's vision for a restored world, God's vision of this world has always included people. From the beginning, he created people, he created this world, and he said, this is very good. This is a very good thing. And God loves this place that he has made. And then we quickly found ways to make it worse And we quickly found ways to say, I think I want to take the fruit from the tree. And this is a story of all of us. And I want to decide what's right and wrong on my own instead of following God's way. And God's way is justice and righteousness and his steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we want to be part of God's kingdom, it does mean that there are things in us that have to change and that we have to choose to follow God. God's inviting us to come and we have to accept the invitation. And the invitation is more than just to this abstract idea of salvation, but it is to bringing God's salvation, his mission of restoration to the world that we live in today. It is so important that our understanding of who we are as Christians includes blessing the world that we live in, blessing those around us, bringing justice and righteousness Because that's what God was doing. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what the apostles understood it as and were doing. And that is what Christians throughout the millennia have done. That is a story that we're part of. And I hope that that is an exciting story to you that you want to be part of. That God has big plans for you. We don't know exactly what the plans are for you specifically. But for all of us together, the plan is that we work together towards God's kingdom coming and towards doing what is just and righteous. And we go out in our neighborhoods and we go out in our community and we find those who need help and who need love and whose lives are hurt and whose lives are broken. And we get a chance because of the way that God has come in and blessed our lives to bless their lives as well. And one person at a time, one family at a time, one neighborhood at a time, one community, one city at a time, 
we get a chance to bring God's kingdom to earth. And it's not going to be perfect the way that God is going to bring it one day. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to bless those around us and invite others into the fullness of the kingdom that is coming, that is partially here, and that will be the greatest blessing that we can imagine, the most wonderful thing that we can dream of. Praise God for his justice. Praise God for his love and his mercy. Help us to be humble before him. Guys, I hope that you uh, drew something out of this. I hope that there was something that the, the prophets brought that really connected with you. Maybe something that Jesus said when Jesus was talking about or, or using the prophets that really opened your eyes to something. This is stuff that is so critically important for us as Christians. And if we are not going out the door and working towards justice, and there's so many broken things around us, and it's easy to see all that, and it's easy to get caught up in all of those things. But the good news is that God has brought his church into this world to be a community of people who bring restoration, the restoration of God. We're led by his spirit to do this in our world We are here to be a light for the nations, a blessing for the world. Thank you for being here. If you made it through all eight lessons, then uh, I should probably get you a present. Uh, I'm thankful for the time you've you've allowed to to listen to some of this. And again, I hope something in it was, was helpful and a blessing. Let me close this out with a prayer, and then uh, we will continue talking about this at some point in the future. It'll look a little different than this, but uh, justice and righteousness are not going away from what we talk about together. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your kingdom. Thank you so much for the way you bring your justice and love on this world. God, help us to be people who do justice, who love mercy, who walk humbly before you. God, help us to be people who want to do things your way, who trust you, who seek after you, who are shaped by the way that your son lived on this earth, the way that his followers lived. Help us to be like those examples. God, help us to build a foundation of justice and righteousness on top of Jesus, the way that you have taught us to. We love you. We praise you. Strengthen our community to go out and be your people in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, I love you. Keep on thinking souls, and we will see you next time.